Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. We're recording on May the 3rd, 2012. I am your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eatmore SK on CamdenChat.com. My podcasting partner in crime is along for the ride, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? Good. How are you? I am doing pretty good. And mostly that's because the Orioles, seriously, who the heck are these guys? Because they sure don't look like the team that I predicted on this very podcast would win uh, 72 games or it might even have been 70 games. It's it's really uh, it's really remarkable to me some of the some of the stats that there are to be seen for the Orioles and obviously not all of that will last forever but wow how about that uh, that first month and you know what's kind of cool about it is if you completely get rid of 2011 and then you remember back in 2010 when Buck Showalter showed up and they went on that that serious run. And everybody was rejuvenated and excited. It almost feels kind of like a continuation of that, except there was this year of of just bad baseball. Right, except they they took that off for uh, 2011, April through August or whatever. But supposedly the the narrative is that it's the second full year of Buck Showalter that really shows the progress. So whatever, maybe that's even true. Yeah, whatever. But I don't. Uh, I don't know why he couldn't have done anything last year if there was stuff to be done. But let's start looking at some of the some of the awesomeness. Although Andrew is a little bit less feeling sunny than I am, so we'll just well, uh, we'll just de- I mean, have to deal with that. I like all pessimists re- prefer to refer to myself as a realist. <laughs> so I'm not feeling uncharitable, just not super optimistic. Right. Let's not let's not start picking uh, printing out playoff tickets yet. But it's it's interesting to see some of the quality that we've seen so far. I think the number that stuck out to me the most is probably that through 25 games, the starters have thrown 153 and a third innings, just a little bit more than six innings per game started. And last year, of course, the Orioles had fewest innings thrown by starters in baseball because they were barely going more than five and a third a game. So saying, well, the starters are going two-thirds of an inning more doesn't sound like a lot, but over a full season, that's that's a big difference on the bullpen workload. That's pretty interesting stuff. There is no team in the American League that has given up fewer runs than the Baltimore Orioles. How weird is that? Wow, is that Just right? Just ponder that fact. That's right. There are, there are only two teams in the National League who have given up fewer runs. And that's the Cardinals and the Washington Nationals. And some of these teams have played fewer games than the Orioles have. Like for instance, Cleveland, who's in first place in the uh, in the AL Central, has given up 101 runs going into today's games, and they've only played 22 games. Whereas the Orioles have played 25, and they've given up 85 runs. Wow, that's that's astounding. And what's doubly interesting to me is that it's really Like, we already know that the pitching has been kind of overwhelmingly surprising, especially kind of punctuated yesterday when Jake Arrieta completely dominated the Yankees in New York. Boy, I was was holding my breath at the time because, I mean, I've been kind of driving the Jake Arrieta bandwagon for a while, but, uh, you know, after the last couple starts, it was like, well, shoot, what if he's going back to old Jake? But last night, wow. That. If he if he could do that every single time out, I mean, that would be like I don't know, Mike Messina, Dylan Bundy, some something way way up there. I think that might have been the best I've ever seen him pitch, even. Well, it was a career high in how deep he went into the game. I don't believe he ever had gone eight innings before, and I think it was a career high with strikeouts, with the nine strikeouts, which against the Yankees, uh, pretty impressive. And a career low walks allowed with zero. That was... Which I think is the most impressive part. Because that's the thing in his career that's really done him in, is his inability to control the ratio between strikeouts and walks. And you can't do better than nine to none. Absolutely uh, astounding to see. But what's more interesting to me is 
the Orioles' defense, at least as rated by uh, my office, Baseball and Co. Solutions, is not abysmal. I am a little at a loss to exactly explain it, but they are up in the top. Uh, I believe they are ranked sixth best at defensive run saved, despite having, uh, I think, more errors than any other team or or somewhere close to the top in errors. They're just, they're turning outs into, or they're turning balls in play into outs at a really successful rate. And I sure wasn't ready for that. I think I wasn't ready for that more than I wasn't ready to see Jason Hamill and Jake Arrieta and Wei Yin Chen be successful starters. Of course, because we remember you were very not thinking that Orioles defense would be good. And we've seen a few times why there was not much reason to think, well, the Orioles defense will be decent. But somehow, in spite of Mark Reynolds' adventures at uh, third base, or even... Wilson Betamete's adventures at third base, they're not doing too bad as far as all that goes, and it's kind of remarkable. It is. Uh, The shoe's going to fall sooner or later because I don't think there's any reason to seriously believe that this is suddenly a good defensive team. Um, But over the course of the first month and a few days, they've been really surprising on really all facets of the run prevention side of things. So through one month, who do you think is your most valuable Oriole? Well, maybe one month and two days since we got the two games against the Yankees before this podcast in May. Well, I have to go with Adam Jones. And a lot of it is, one, he's been flawless defensively. Um, We... I'm looking at his page on, on Fangraphs, and the the BIS defensive ratings have him making 51 out of 51 balls that were hit to center field. So he has not failed to make a play on any ball hit to him. He's made 17 balls that were, uh, quote-unquote, out of his zone. So his defense has been flawless. So that means no minuses on, uh, on the DRS? No minuses. No minuses. He he only has plus one uh, on his on his range score, and I suspect that's just because the balls that have been hit at him are not especially difficult to field balls. Andrew likes to say that's a minus. We uh, we went to the Frank Robinson statue replica and the statue unveiling game with a bunch of the Camden Chat staff writers, and uh, every time what was it? Cliff Pennington was the number one. Uh, I think Ioannis Suspedis made several several miscues. Andrew would just lean back. That's a minus. That's a minus. He said it several times through the game. I think it's just it's fun. It's one of his favorite things to say. But he wouldn't tell me how much of a minus. Well, that that's the that's the trick. A- any play you don't make is a minus, and every play you do make is a plus. It's just, just a matter of to what magnitude. So Adam Jones has no minuses. No minuses. That is impressive. Um, he do, he does have uh, minuses on his arm score, which is uh, not based on locational data, ball and play data, but rather inability to keep runners from moving up or scoring and an inability to kill runners. What's called a kill is uh, the, the outfield assists, just colloquially known as kills. Um, but yeah, he's been great defensively. And offensively, I mean, you can't ask for more. We were talking about it last week with with John Bernard from Baseball Prospectus and a bunch of other places. And this is the Adam Jones you want. If if he could just continue being this good hitting, I mean, that's a cornerstone player. That's a player that any team would kill to have. Yeah, he's working on a career-low strikeout percentage. So far, he's only struck out. He's got 13.3% K rate, which is uh, only 14 strikeouts and 105 plate appearances. And his career average is about 19.4%. So that's a substantial reduction. He's not getting a lot of walks, but as long as he's laying off the bad pitches and making good contact with the good ones, which... He sure is, considering he's slugging 582. That's pretty awesome. 
Not something Look, I expected to happen. For me, I don't worry about his walk rate as much as you worry about his on-base percentage. Right. Because on-base percentage is what matters, not specifically how you get there. And his on-base percentage right now is 362, which is phenomenal. So you, you don't worry, like, oh, he's not walking enough. Yeah, but he's still getting on base. And his his batting average on balls in play is right about in line with his career average. So it's not like he's been getting lucky as far as that goes. He's just, I mean, he's got a heavy batting average component in his on-base percentage. But it's, it, it yeah, seems and, like and it's legitimately, guys, yeah. you know, some guys just do that. Exactly. Like, right. You know, last year, everybody was thinking Vladimir Guerrero was going to be the Vlad of the younger days where he could do crazy stuff like that. But, you know, he was old and his knees were broken down, so he couldn't and he sucked. But Right. The the problem with the 300 hitter is when the 300 hitter has a 310 on base like, yeah. like Vlad did. Exactly. Or, or whatever his specific number is. But Adam Jones, there's just so far, there's nothing to complain about what he's done. He's had a couple of at-bats in clutch situations that have been really frustrating, but that stuff's all going to happen. So he has been my most valuable Oriole for the month of April. For me, it's easily got to be Jason Hamill. And the reason for that is, one, because of what he's done just without any context whatsoever. Jason Hamill has a 197 ERA so far, which is the fourth best starter ERA in the AL and is the best starter ERA of any AL East pitcher. The other guys who are ahead of him are all out of the division. And secondly, it's impressive because I really had no real expectations for him whatsoever. I thought he was going to be a slightly cheaper Jeremy Guthrie at best who we would have an extra year of because... If you looked at his numbers coming out of Colorado, I mean, last year he had uh, he threw 170 innings and had a 4.76 ERA. The year before that, 177 innings had a 4.81 ERA. So I mean, some of that's like, well, okay, you got the Coors Field effect or whatever. But I mean, who could have guessed he would come over here and just even for a month, you know, five starts, just have that kind of dominant performance? I didn't see it coming at all, and it's really just kind of well, I don't want to say it set the tone because that's, again, that's putting narrative on something that probably isn't, but it's very impressive. And just seeing that kind of pitching from, you know, when two years ago we remember the 2 and 16 start with just Stinko pitching, it's it's really remarkable. Yeah, I do wonder, uh, you think back to like 2005 where the Orioles were. I think they were in second place at the All-Star break, but they, they might have only been like a game out. And then things collapsed, and uh, you look back at it, if you if you go back to the baseball reference page for that year, and the pitching was like Sidney Ponsone and uh, like Rick Bauer, the, that quality guy. And you just wonder, like, how could you ever have been fooled that that was something that was sustainable. Right. The 2005 rotation, the five guys listed on BaseballReference.com that threw the most innings. Uh, Rodrigo Lopez had a 490 ERA. Bruce Chen was the ace with a 383. You had Daniel Cabrera rocking a 452. Eric Bedard had a four. And then Sidney Ponson gave us a 621. Was that when, like, uh, Dave Gorbowski was around, too? Uh, it doesn't look like There's that no, was that year. I don't see him on the page of. But it was like a really forgettable period of picture. And yeah, <clears throat> especially in the second half of that year. And I wonder if we went back and like at that point in my life, like I had no idea about uh, the peripheral type pitching stats, like Sierra. Or uh, actually, Sierra wasn't even around then. I, I dare uh, say hardly anyone had any kind of idea of like, <laughs> peripheral stats then. You're, you're probably right. But I wonder if we went back and looked at it in mid-May or so, if we would have said, like, these guys are pitching way over their heads, their ERAs are two runs below their FIPS and so on and so on. But then you look at, like right now, to bring it back to the topic on hand, you look at Jason Hamill, he is dominating and he's doing it by getting strikeouts and 
not giving up too many walks and keeping the ball in the ballpark. Yeah, and I mean, even if you want to look and say, well, he's been luckier than his fielding independent pitching would say, his, his, his FIP right now is 285. And I mean, you, uh, you, you, cannot you, might, complain you, about you might kill a man to have an Orioles starter with a 285 ERA. I mean, I wouldn't kill I you, but, you know, somebody out there, I might. I, I, well, I wouldn't kill you, Mark. Thank you. You're my Thank friend. You, Andrew. I would kill you for free. I think is the old Groucho Marx line. Yeah, but I mean, really, <laughs> that's the bullpen guys have the fifths that are up there, but the starters, even the ones that are a little higher, it's just like, I mean, compared to the just the absolute dreck that we have seen over the last several years, even those are just crazy. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun to to watch. Jason Hamill, like what what reality do we live in where that's that's true? Right, I really every morning he looks I, really good. Every morning okay. I feel like I'm going to wake up and look at news headlines and see like President Hillary Clinton is off visiting Afghanistan <laughs> or something. You know, it's just it's 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 going to be something crazy. And our honorable mention, by the way, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. We also want to give a shout out to Matt Weeders for being. Well, for being Matt Weeders, he's, he's growing into the uh, the Matt Weeders we dreamed of when he was drafted. I mean, this is this, this is an MVP candidate, the way he's playing right now. A, a serious, like, up there with, you know, Ryan Braun and, and Matt Kemp and Justin Verlander and Jacoby Ellsbury and everybody else. Like, this is a guy who deserves MVP votes in the American League. Yeah, right. yeah, Matt Weeders deserves all the respect that they anybody can possibly give him. It's, it's I, tw- I I tweeted the other night. I was I was watching him against the Yankees and I was just struck. It, it was like a laser beam went straight into my head and tore out this memory. I went I saw the Bowie Bay Sox in 2008 maybe when uh, David Hernandez pitched and Reimold was on the team, and Weeders was on the team. Uh, I might have the year wrong. Um, and Weeders looked like he, – he didn't just look like a man amongst boys. He looked like the the god that he was being overhyped to be, where he hit one home run. He hit another long uh, – I think it was a sack fly off the track. He took pitches. He didn't look – at all nervous, he looked completely in control of the game. And last night, he he looked like that that dude again. And I think it was the first time that that really connected with me. That holy crap! Like Matt Weeders is like the guy that's better than like the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, that Wednesday night game just a couple days before uh, our listeners will be listening to this. He had a three for four night, and he had. A triple short of the cycle, which, I mean, Matt Weeders isn't going to triple anyway, but he, he had the really impressive home run, got a double, got a walk. It was it was an outstanding show. It's yeah, very, uh, very we, we, also, we also wanted to give some props to Jake Arrieta, who uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday night, Wednesday night, uh, went out and dominated up the Yankees, sort of. Uh, putting a punctuation on the start of his season. Yeah, nine, or eight innings, nine years. strikeouts of the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. So th- those four guys. No, no walks. Arietta, Hamill, uh, Weeders, and Jones. <laughs> that's the Baltimore Orioles that are up at the top of the American League right now. It- it's those four guys more than more than anything else. So... Let's hope they can keep it up, huh? It's it would be something, and obviously we're in the middle of the the 15 game stretch against the Yankees, Rangers, Red Sox, uh, Rays, and then the Yankees again. Yeah, I got that order a little wrong, but whatever. But they've already started off going two and one there, so they can't go 0 and 15 anyway. But uh, it's it's really something else. Yeah, I think personally, it's hard for me to get really excited about the first four or five weeks of the season, especially with this gauntlet coming up ahead of that. Right. At the next podcast after this, if they just tread water through this this next 12 games, uh, I think we'll have, I don't know, we'll, we'll be, uh, I, I can't even really fathom what it'll be like because I don't remember what it's like to feel good about the Orioles at Memorial Day. Yeah, yeah. And, and they've done all this uh, without any help whatsoever from what we 
liked to say was going to be the improved bench because Andy Chavez <laughs> has absolutely stunk at the plate. Uh, Nick well, Johnson. All of their bench yeah, guys. Yeah, all the have. bench guys have, except Ronnie Paulino. Right. And Nick Johnson just got his first hits. He's three for thirty nine on the year. Is he coming around? Who knows? But uh and then and then Ryan Flaherty, well, he looks like a rule five draft pick, uh, who probably shouldn't stay on the roster the whole year. No, unfortunately, uh he does not look much like a major league baseball player. And it's really difficult to say Nick Johnson does, and it's really difficult to say Andy Chavez does. Yeah, um, Andy is five hits in 51 plate appearances. He's got a uh, what is it? He's got a he's got a his OPS is below 300 right now. Yeah. It's two. It's yeah. He's got a 160 163 on base, 130 slugging percentage. Wow. He's on he's on the uh, as far as his fan graphs were. He's kind of on the Felix PA trajectory right there. It's not fielding that's dragging him down. It's his bat. And wow. Yeah, and that's exactly, well, not exactly what we thought, but he was going to come in and be a good defensive outfielder, spell Reimold and Jones and probably probably Mark Kakis also. And then you just hope he hits enough to justify being around. And, I mean, right now... He's the worst hitter on the team and has been. He's even worse than Nick Johnson in Fangrass measures what's called weighted on base average, which uh, takes all of the different uh, offensive events and then assigns them a weight and puts it on sort of a on-base percentage type scale. And Nick Johnson, despite his 0 for 28, is doing better at this one statistic than Andy Chavez. And it's not even close. Um, it's 167 to 119. And just looking at Andy when he bats, if you watch him, I mean, he's he doesn't look like, well, you know, he's on the cusp of doing things. He's I mean, he's swinging the bat like a guy who has a career like 679 OPS. I mean, um, it's, it's very reminiscent of Cesar Asturias to me. Where he's up there, he's trying to make contact, he's got some vague amount of speed, and there's no power in the swing whatsoever, and it just it looks like a mess, but Right. If it yeah. if it's on the ground and it doesn't get through a hole, he's not getting a base hit. And uh if if it's a line drive, he needs to hit it hard enough that it's gonna go over an infielder's head instead of just softly line where they can chase it down. I mean, he's had some bad luck. Like last night, he lined into a double play. Yeah, he has. And he hit the ball hard. It was just right at the third base. He has 132 batting average of balls in play. So that's. that's <laughs> the problem is, if you uh, correct for that and and give him extra hits to get his bat up to 300, or 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 so, which is where his career average is, his career. Bapip is, I should say. His OPS is still going to be really, really bad. It's going to be sub-500. Slightly less bad is what we're hoping for at this point. Yeah, and it's it's fine because, really, there's there's not a lot of alternatives. Um, you know, Xavier Avery's not, not going to be called up anytime soon, I don't think. Right, and, there's nobody in AAA who's just saying, well, you got to come have me play instead of Andy Chavez, because Jay Miller is exactly what you would think. Actually, no, he's taking walks in AAA, I take it back, but he probably can't do that at a major league level. So, you know, I, I think the best thing for the Orioles would be to, to get Nolan Reimold back and actually on the field. And able to stay on the field. Yeah, we don't really know what's how long he's supposed to be out. He went back to Baltimore. That was Wednesday, and uh, I don't know what the deal is there. I wouldn't. Be... Well, he was diagnosed with bulging discs. Yeah. Or a bulging disc, but it obviously wasn't bad enough to put him on the disabled list. Right. Cause... I mean, I wonder if that's a thing where they're just being more optimistic about it than is warranted, which is what they also seem to be doing with Brian Roberts, for instance. But I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they had a roster move tomorrow before the start of the uh, the Red Sox series. But 
I mean, they I so. cannot go through this next stretch where they have, what, 20 straight games without a day off? Yeah. They, the, uh, All against really good teams. Yep. They, they can't do it shorthanded. And they can't get through it with Andy Chavez playing every day. And it's not just about Andy Chavez being the leadoff hitter, even though he is the worst possible option for a leadoff hitter. It's they can't afford to have his bat in the lineup taking up four plate appearances a night instead of Nolan Reimold, who has also been really good in, in the early goings. He just can't stay on the field. Right. Yeah, he's only played in 16 games so far, Nolan, and not all of that was because of Buck just having him on the bench. Some of it was because he had to be because of his neck problems. So, yeah, get well soon, Nolan. We, we miss you. And more, more importantly, we don't want to see Andy Chavez playing that much. But maybe he'll turn it around. Who knows? Uh, so let's see. One of the other great strengths so far, the bullpen, wow. I mean, Matt Lindstrom and Luis Ayala haven't even let in a run yet. I have no idea how that, how that happens to be true. Because I would have bet you anything that they would have at least put in one run each. And I probably would have bet you that they would be two of the worst relievers on the staff. In baseball. Two of the worst pitchers on the staff. Yeah. It's, uh, by, by this time. Lindstrom gets out there and he just mows guys down. He's got over a strikeout per inning. Ayala is just getting fantastically weak contact on most of his his balls, it's 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 in, it's something else, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have been surprised if either of those guys were bad, like you said, because the other the other part of the uh, Jeremy Guthrie trade is I figured out oh, well Matt Lidstrom will be like the next or something, and uh, you know Luis Ayala not a hugely expensive signing, but he had some serious control problems I believe last year, and I wouldn't have been surprised if he just wasn't good, but so far he is, and. Obviously, at some point, those guys are going to give up runs, and you know probably it'll cost the Orioles a game when they finally their luck runs out. But you know, most of the time, it seems like well, if they look like that, then they can keep having pretty impressive numbers. Yeah, and then there's Darren O'Day, who's been really good. Right, who I guess has maybe only let up one run because he has a 0.71 ERA, and he's got the funky sidearm action where it just looks like well, that's on, man. You gotta figure those guys just have no idea what's happening. They can't. They can't touch him. And then there's Strope and Johnson at the back end. Paid, this has yeah. been a tremendous success of a bullpen so far. Which is uh, un- well, I mean, it's it's strange to actually have game action under our belts and hear about bullpen being a strength as opposed to the obligatory, you know, preseason stories from like. Dan Connolly and Rocky Bacco and Steve Malewski talking about, well, the bullpen could be a real strength for the Orioles this year. Well, there's 25 games under our belts, and the bullpen is a strength, and it's something else. And we were talking about it before we, we hopped on here. Uh, it's built mostly on guys who are either very low-cost veterans, like Luis Ayala, or guys who they picked up cheaply and have under control for a long time, like Pedro Strope and uh, Darren O'Day. Right, Strope and O'Day, Texas basically just gave away to the Orioles. And that's, I mean, that's that's the way, that's the way to get your cheap relievers. Because, you know, when you, then, when you hit on a guy like that, I mean, that's yeah, three years right. for those guys at, like, the minimum. And then, as if to punctuate it, at the, at the bottom of the bullpen, uh, if, if, do we do we even really want to talk about him? No, his name okay. shall not be spoken to, tonight. It's going to, to be struck. It's, it's going to be struck from the record. <laughs> you, you know what point I'm trying to make here, though, don't you? Yeah, and the less we see of him, the better. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe eventually they'll decide. Well, let's just get rid of him and call up another guy. Well, yeah. Talk about uh, you. You can't keep a pitching staff that's a man short because somebody is just taking up a spot in the in the bullpen and they can't use them in any situation that is important in any way. And they won't even use them when it's a six to one game and, and it's late. And so. unlike, unlike the position players, there are relievers in Norfolk who are looking like, well, maybe we want to have them like Jason Birkin could come up and be the long man. He's so far doing great in Norfolk. Um, just looking at their stat line. How is 
Pat Mishak doing? Because he looked pretty good. Yeah, I what did he like not give up training. a run in spring training? And they used him a lot. Let's see. Mishak has a 3.18 ERA, 11.1 innings thrown in Norfolk. We got Miguel Sokolovich, 164 ERA in 11 innings. I have no idea who that is, to be very honest with you. <laughs> um, Oscar Villarreal, 16 innings, 169 ERA. Miguel Gonzalez, 066 ERA with 13.2 innings thrown. I mean, the the reliever who we're not naming tonight, any of those guys could come up and just try and take his spot, or they could be the long man or whatever, and uh, that would be good. Zach Phillips, who I was genuinely surprised didn't make the bullpen out of opening day. Yeah, I thought he would too. So far, he's struggled down there. It looks like he's got over a four, but I think he would be good. Well, uh, there are there are a lot of options. Yes, there are, but... So far, they haven't uh, haven't pulled the trigger on getting rid of you know who, so who knows? Lord Voldemort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So when last we left the Boston Red Sox, Robert Andino was telling them to take their butts home. Although maybe that was the Red Sox fans more than the Red Sox themselves. Maybe it was both. I'm not really sure. And uh, the first time the Orioles will see them. This year is going to be the day you're all listening to this, May the 4th. And the Red Sox had a pretty disastrous start, although they've rebounded to a little bit less terrible after... What did they start? Yeah, they started off 2-5, and five, looking pretty pathetic. They were down to 4-10 and ten at one point, but then they won six games in a row. Well, remember, they did this last year, too. They did. They started 0-10, I think. They started off pretty bad last year as well and then they were one of the very best teams when when the dust cleared but not, even though they, not, they did not make not it the best enough game. to make it into the playoffs yeah but they were very good so so they've rebounded to an 11 and 13 record as of this moment and most of that is on the strength of their offense because their pitching has been uh well dare i say it it's been oriole-esque because they have a staff ERA of 5.45 through 24 games. Uh, their starter ERA is 5.50. So the bullpen is really nearly as bad as the starters, I guess, only slightly better. Bullpen ERA is 5.35. So that's the Red Sox so far. And somehow they have an 11-13 record, even though they have the third worst, or the second worst total team ERA in all of baseball. Well, it's like you said, they're sort of out hitting their problems. As best as they can, anyway. Because what was it like? The, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was last last year when they were collapsing in September. It was like they had something absurd, like maybe it was like 2-17 and 17 record when they didn't score more than 10 runs. I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was something absurd, where if they didn't score 10 or more runs, they had just this abysmally, it just absolutely terrible record. And... uh so far this year, of their of their 11 wins, five of them they've scored 10. No, I'm sorry, six of them they've scored 10 or more runs. So that pattern wow. is continuing. Wow. That's, uh, that, wow. Yeah. Well, uh, are the Orioles going to let them score 10 or more runs? Right, that's that's going to be the question. Apparently that's the question. The Let's see, who's pitching for the Orioles in this series? The schedule, The matchup is going to be... Friday's game is going to be Wei Yin Chen versus John Lester. And I believe the first time John Lester failed to beat the Orioles was last September, as I You don't say. As I recall. I seem to recall something like that as well. Yes. And uh okay, so Saturday's matchup, they've called they're going to be calling up uh Aaron Cook, who was on a minor league deal. He's pitched to he's pitched, excuse me, in Colorado up until this year, and he's going to be facing the sensational Jason Hamill. And Sunday's pitching matchup is Tommy Hunter versus Clay Buckholtz, which uh, I, think mm-hmm. our, I think our degenerate gambler on Camden Chat will be betting the over on that game. It'll be interesting to me to see how Jason Hamill's new two-seam fastball and his absurd like 65% ground ball rate uh, if you can keep that up, because that type of performance would be very useful in Fenway Park. 
Yeah, you don't want the guys getting the ball in the air there at all. So who knows? Because th- that is supposed to be, supposed to be the big difference for Jason Hamill is he's throwing a two seam fastball that I don't know why he wasn't throwing it in Colorado, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, you leave he's, Colorado and then you come up with the two seam fastball. Yeah, he's suddenly throwing it. So I mean, that's like a tangible reason where it's like, well, wow, maybe this is why he's better, and it's not just uh, not just luck. So who knows if he keeps that thing rolling? Uh, Clearly, Boston is not doing too great if they can't score 10 runs, because they need to score 10 runs when they have guys like Clay Buckholz pitching, who, and this, here's here's your example of why pitcher wins are useless. Clay Buckholz has an 869 ERA after five starts, and he's at, he has a 3-1 and one record. Three wins with an 869 ERA. It's probably because he, they, they average like 12 runs when the offense... When when he pitches, yeah, he's he's got his one one win. He pitched seven in, r- innings, gave up five runs, got a win. Five and a third innings, gave up five runs, got a win. Six and two thirds innings, six earned runs, got a win. As Clay Buckholz in 2012. Even John Lester does not look all that sharp. It's yeah, he's got a 465 so, so far, and uh, who knows yeah. who knows what's going on with the Red Sox, and they've got. Injury problems cropping up. Josh Beckett, they had to call up Aaron Cook because Josh Beckett has something. See, his Fangraphs page has, <laughs> has the medical icon with shoulder day-to-day. Never good when it's the shoulder. And uh, Kevin Euclid is out. Kevin Euclid just had a with, broken with back wrist. problems. Maybe? No, I'm sorry. I'm getting people confused. I think you're thinking of somebody else. I must be. But I think you're thinking Pablo Sandoval broke his wrist. All these guys run together after a while. And Kevin Euclid is out. He's on the DL with back problems. And they have called up Will Middlebrooks, one of their top prospects, who, who debuted against the Athletics on Wednesday. Actually looked pretty good. So uh, hopefully the, the Orioles crack advanced scouting department that we all know everything there is to know about uh, can come up with a quick... Scouting report. Well, Andrew, if you think about it, probably every bit of information that you or I could find out about Will Middlebrooks is exactly what the Orioles could could find out at this point. Because I think so many people have joked that it's like the Orioles are just going to look at Baseball America for scouting and those kinds of sites. And uh, who knows? Maybe there's good information on Will Middlebrooks on there. I don't know. I don't know either. Because it's not like they're scouting the minor leagues of the uh, other teams in the big leagues anymore, as far as we know. That's true. That, that's that's a good point. We don't really know what they're up to. But, but anyway, how do you feel about this series? You know, the Orioles are hot. The Red Sox just lost two of three to the Athletics. It's tough to look at rationally, Andrew, because I'm I've got competing, really competing, just diametrically opposed impulses <laughs> here. Because for one, I just just want to go off the edge on seeing the Orioles be successful so far. Uh, but I'm also not quite ready to do that because of the opposite, just just this lingering fear that the bottom could just fall out at any time. And they can, like, they're just going to... It'll be like, I don't know, the end of a Scooby-Doo episode where they rip off the mask and it's like, surprise, it was the 2010 Orioles the whole time, you know? And, yeah, uh, I hear you. I can't... Neither one of those is dominant yet. Uh, they're they're both in constant conflict. So I could I could both see the Orioles just going in there and you know winning a bunch of like five to two games, or I could see them losing like a bunch of twelve to seven games, and then suddenly all the stories are about how the Red Sox have finally heated it up, and it's their old familiar punching bags, the Orioles, as if last September never happened, and you know then. Then after that is the Rangers, and the Rangers are just really out of this world so far. Yeah, that that I think more than the Red Sox series. No offense to our friends up in Boston. Oh, I give but... every offense, man. <laughs> every bit of offense from me. Um, I, I I'm really looking more forward to the the Texas series as a barometer for just who are these guys? Are, are they going to be a good team or a respectable team or a bad team or, or what? Like, I feel like I really don't know yeah. just because my expectations have not met with reality at all so far. Right. And, and I mean, really, if they just, 
I mean, moral victories aren't worth a lot, but if they compete against Texas, even if they lose games, you know, maybe five to four, something like that. Because, I mean, the Texas we've seen in the past, we all remember the 30 to three, but they've laid a fair number of beatdowns, other lopsided beatdowns on the Orioles other than that. So, I mean, just, you know, don't go in there and lose every game like 12 to four. And that's moving in the right direction. Who knows how many they can win? And that's a four-gamer against Texas. So if there is a weakness that's there to be exploited, there's an extra game to uh, to see it. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, after Texas is Tampa Bay, is that correct? Yeah, I think then it's like a three-game series against Tampa Bay and then two games against New York. So, then, well, t- so I'm sorry. Yeah, three against Tampa Bay, two against New York. Tampa Bay's been really good too, and they've been playing. Uh, they they had a series with Texas, where they came, they saw, and they competed, and uh, they have since lost Evan Longoria, which has to help the the Orioles' chances going into a series with them. But that's another really good team. We were talking about it earlier. This whole month is kind of like I I, I really don't know what to call the Orioles because I'm waiting to see how May goes. Right. I really, I just keep holding my breath. Like every game, I'm just waiting for the disaster to start happening. And then like, you know, Tuesday, well, Brian Mattis, suddenly he's looking like a major league pitcher again. And Wednesday, Jake Arrieta is just destroying the Yankees lineup. It's like, who, who are these guys? I can't, I don't know yet, but the early signs are, Amazingly positive, just unbelievably positive. <laughs> Almost suspiciously positive. Almost suspiciously positive. I I cannot bring myself to trust it yet. Well, uh, considering I we... picked the Orioles for seventy wins, it's just amazing. Well, that's got to go up now, right? You'd think. I don't know. No, I <laughs> see. I don't want to. I don't. For one, I don't want to be the flip flop where I usually am on this podcast and constantly. Well, it's not. It. It's not flip flopping because they've already won sixteen games. The the main thing that I that I do feel like we can say is that the the floor, the worst case scenario of 2012, has been raised a lot more than I originally thought it was going to be. And that doesn't mean we can be printing playoff tickets. It doesn't even mean they're gonna break the uh, break the 500 or better or lower streak. But the worst that the Orioles could be from here on feels like a lot better than I might have dreamed on opening day. Well, I don't think there's going to be anybody with any credibility still saying this is a team that could lose 100 games. Right. That's that's something. For example, they have definitely not looked like. Say yeah, the, they just look too good. They haven't looked like the Houston Astros or whatever. Although Houston only eleven and fourteen. So Houston's been there. surprising, surprisingly fun to watch. So maybe not the best example. Yeah, I think Minnesota is the poster boy for sad sack teams right now. Six and eighteen record in Minnesota right now. Ouch. Yeah, there's your there's your team on the way to a hundred losses. So. Uh, Anyway, uh, as far as like if they end this 15 game streak, I don't know, six and nine. So maybe so if they went if they went four and eight over the next 12, and they the the vaunted terrible streak, if they were six and nine or better, I think I'd still feel like I could still kind of have some cautious optimism if they. Well, they would be 22 and 18 at that point. Yes, six and nine from right now would make the Orioles 22 and 18 after. The After going through a, a gauntlet, yeah, that would be, it would be interesting from then on. Well, is there anybody who wouldn't take that? I would take that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, um, I mean, if it's even better than that, what the heck? Then I don't know. Well, then maybe yeah. I will come on here next time and just start talking about playoffs. Playoffs. If, if and I, I, I don't think the Orioles are going to be competitive this year. Sorry to burst everybody's bubble. Um, or. Sorry to burst your bubble that you thought I was somebody you could listen to and enjoy listening to. Um, if, however, the Orioles were to be competitive, they would probably have to do a lot better than six and nine during this stretch, yes, just to did. assert themselves. And I'm not, I'm not aiming my hopes that high, but I would just like to not see collapse. 
just I mean, just tread water and see where see what happens from there. And I mean, if some of these players are still just you know maybe not shocking the world, but if they're still good, then it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting summer if that happens. Yeah, but but, but this is the month and the the two weeks that we're we're staring face first at uh, that are going to really be the the first strong barometer. You know, I I don't know if in the past it was the Orioles would get out to a good start and then they'd get some adversity and fall on their faces and then things would snowball on them. Well, like we talked about on this very podcast last year, it seemed like they were kind of almost treading water, like they were waiting for Brian Mattis to come back from his injury. And then when he came back and he absolutely stunk, it was just like up, down. Yeah, yeah. I I also sort of suspect it was just that wasn't a talented enough team no. to not collapse. Right. Um, but hey, let's enjoy it. Yeah, I mean well, the the, well, the sports writers right now are loving whipping out the stats. Like the last time the Orioles were seven games over 500 was July the 19th of 2005, and <laughs> Like that means anything. Well, like I wish they would stop because 2005 obviously ended horribly. So, well, if for the or for them to stop saying 2005 for that kind of statistic, uh, if they would have to get 15 games over 500, which the Orioles never did in 2005, and then if they were 15 or more games over 500, then you're looking back to 1997, and that's a better looking stat. So, I I, I, liked... I don't see 15 games over 500 happening. Uh, my favorite of that, that type of stat was the last time the Orioles were in New York and the Yankees only scored a grand total of three runs or less over the course of all three games was 1965. There was some other one where where Steve Malewski or somebody posted some stat that the last time since blah, blah, blah was 1966. I don't remember at all what it was. I just remember seeing it. And that's that's just getting silly. I thought that was pretty cool, though. But, I mean, then again, that's what you love. Well, it's, it's one of the things people love about baseball. And maybe you don't, although you probably do. It's just this, this constant, like, unbroken lineage of everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that it's you like just you're interacting back. with history. That's exactly what it's like. And that's that's a great thing about baseball. So, not that it means anything about the Orioles' uh sustaining success in this year but it, it's cool when you can look and the last time this happened was you know when my dad was nine years old or something like that it's pretty neat so let's see we're just about at where we want to uh, wrap it up here andrew so do you have a final thought on the orioles tonight or going forward or whatever uh i sort of have a final thought i shared this with you and stacy when we were out at camden yards on Saturday, watching the Oakland Athletics get destroyed. Destroyed. But I wanted to share it with the greater audience. I was at the... Not, not the greater library. audience. They're the greatest audience, Andrew. The greatest audience. Yes. That's right. <laughs> I was out at the local minor league game last Friday, which was the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs at the Empire State Yankees, which are the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Yankees. They do not have a stadium this year, so... They were playing in the Lehigh Valley as the home team. A little odd, but uh, the catcher for the Empire State Yankees was one Craig Tatum, our old friend. And as Stacy used to root for him to hit a home run, a tater for Tatum. I, in fact, witnessed that very event happen where uh, Craig Tatum hit a two-run home run, which ended up being the difference in that game. Game-winning two-run home run for Craig. Well, it was like in the third inning. Well, it still counts. Yeah, the go-ahead for good or whatever. I I was I thought that was great. I thought it was hysterical. I I was uh, cheering for him the whole time because how can you not cheer for Craig Tatum even if he is a Yankee? Yeah, but he's not a major league Yankee, so it's yeah it's, right. It's uh, it's kind of okay to to cheer for a kind of a scrub fill-in in triple a even if he's a yankee i that's what i'm gonna say i don't know if people will agree with me or not but i'll i'll throw that one out there well i heard next year the yankees want to rename all their minor league teams so that none of them are called the yankees so if he was like a scranton wilkes red baron that'd be fine yeah you couldn't even tell 
Yeah, you almost wouldn't even know. Right. Until uh, Russell Martin got hurt and Craig Tatum's who gets called up. No, then they'd probably call up. Well, Cervelli, it'd be, yeah, Cervelli. If there were multiple injuries and Craig Tatum got called. We were actually joking, uh, my girlfriend and I, how angry Francisco Cervelli would be if Russell Martin got hurt and then they called up Craig Tatum instead of him. Yeah, that would cause some sulkiness, I guess. Because <laughs> he was sulking or venting or something when they sent him down in the first place. As if he's forgotten that he's Francisco Cirelli and not, you know, like a starting major. Yeah, you're pitcher. you're not Jorge Posada in your prime, Francisco Cirelli. No matter what you might have led yourself to believe uh, the last few years. So, oh well, too bad. I was going to give a final thought on the Orioles, but now it's thundering outside, and I don't want the power to go oh. out and lose this whole podcast. But oh. do make sure to follow us there on Twitter. Andrew is at Gibson Andrew, and I am at Eat more S-K-E-S-S-K-A-Y, like the hot dogs, which, as it turns out, I did enjoy one of uh, at Camden Yards on Saturday. Real or real meat? Well, I hope it wasn't Oreo meat, but it was Oreo brand beef, <laughs> or so they told me. I assume, right. I assume, in fact, it was. But you really, you never want to really think about what's in a hot dog anyway, but uh, that's not much fun. So that, no. that's about all for tonight. We don't really know when the next time we'll be back is. The next convenient night is, in fact, Mother's Day, and we will probably be showering affection on our respective mothers. So we'll be back, we'll be back sometime, and who knows what we'll have to say about the Orioles. Uh, it depends a lot on how they do over the next 12 games, but if it's good, uh, there will be sunshine and... Oh, I want it to be good. Balloons, and I don't even know what. I might have to get in a marching band to start playing some John Philip Sousa. Well, uh, I'll break out my old saxophone. Yeah, I, I play the trombone, so. so we could uh, we yeah. could do something. All right, but we'll we'll see. We don't want to count our chickens before the eggs hatch, but uh, it could it could be interesting, and that I guess that's my final thought. The summer could be interesting for the Orioles, and I look forward to finding out what the season's got to hold instead of. Instead of dreading how bad it could be, now it's like, well, how good could it be? That's that's pretty cool. That's a difference over the last several years. That is cool. So that's all for Andrew and I tonight. He is Andrew Gibson. I am Mark Brown, and we are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out. <laughs>